Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, spring has sprung, and uh, felt like we went from summer to spring after 80s uh, several days. But we're really excited about our Easter celebration uh, that will be coming up in a couple of weeks. And uh, I want to encourage kind of all hands on deck. In other words, um, if you have helped with the setup team, even if you're not signed up for that week, we need your help because on Saturday night before Easter at 7 o'clock, we're going to set everything up. So if you can come for any period of time at 7 o'clock on Sunday night, we'll try to get, or Saturday night, we'll try to get everything. If you come Sunday night, it'll be too late. Uh, So don't come Sunday night, but come Saturday night at 7. If you're a greeter, uh, we want all hands on deck, too. Uh, Greg and Casey Gale have done an outstanding job with our greeters, but we know there's going to be a lot of people more than just a normal group of folks. And so if you're a greeter, just show up on that day, and we'll have you greeting in the hallways. We want people to feel so loved on Easter that when they step out of their car, they're like, Hello! We're so glad you're here! So we'll have people even out uh, in the parking lot greeting folks. And then finally, if you're in children's ministry, there are going to be more kids than you can imagine. So on Easter, if you can come and you can help a little bit, that's great. And it's kind of like one of those things where if you get hurt in action, we'll send somebody else in there, okay? So um, we hope that all of you, all hands on deck uh, on Easter uh, Sunday. Uh, we also want to encourage you to invite people uh, on Easter. Um, Easter and Christmas, people typically say yes to coming to church. And so we want to give you a tool, and if you pull out of your program, it looks like this. And uh, last week, we encouraged you to invite one family member. And this week, we want to encourage you to invite a friend. Now, uh, don't just throw this away. Just go do it. They typically tell us, that 80% of people will say yes if you invite them on Easter. Um, They just do. Um, Because, and I always even guilt people sometimes. I'm like, are you an American? You know, do you have any patriotism whatsoever? You should come to church. So whatever it takes, we want you to do that. And today, we're excited to have uh, two friends. And how one friend actually got here was through an invitation similar to this. And so... um, Amy Stone and Michelle Slavin are here, and uh, Amy, I'd like you to just kind of share how you went about uh, inviting uh, Michelle the first time. Absolutely. I'll give you a little background. Michelle uh, is a very good friend to my husband, Frank. Uh, Frank and Michelle and Michelle's husband, Jeremy, have been friends since childhood, and um, early in our marriage and throughout uh, knowing them, we've been very close with them, although there was a period where Frank and I did move away, and we kind of lost touch with Michelle and Jeremy, and have always felt bad about that, but when we moved to Muncie recently, um, we got reconnected with Michelle, and I happened to run into her at the YMCA on a Saturday, I'll never forget, I was working an event for the JAR, and I happened to see her, and I just beelined right to her, and hugged her, and said, how have you been, what have you been up to, we were talking for like 45 minutes, and she asked me what I was doing 
you know, on a Saturday at the Y, and I told her I was actually working for church, and we got talking about church, and something in my heart just felt that I should maybe extend an invitation to Michelle, and I did, and she came, and it's been life-changing ever since. Awesome, awesome. Now, if you're male, you don't have to talk 45 minutes, okay? (laughs) You can just take this card and say, dude, would you like to come to church? Are you an American, okay? And give it to them. Okay? So it's all different. But if you're a female, it may take more conversation to kind of do that. Well, um, Michelle, if you would, what did that feel like? I mean, you guys had been friends, lost connection, got reconnected. She comes over, she says hi. How did that experience feel? Well, I went home right after we, after my workout, and I went home, and I had talked over with Jeremy, my husband, We had been at a difficult point in our marriage, and that was part of the 45-minute conversation. And um, I told him and I expressed to him, you know, we've been seeking God. We've been trying to find a way to reconnect uh, with good people and to help our marriage. So we came, as a matter of fact, the very next Sunday to the church. So one invitation, you come back the next. Now, how has your life changed? Okay, our life has changed dramatically. Um, We came, like I said, then Sunday. Then the following Sunday, we came back. And as we walked out, uh, we met you. And then Frank introduced Jeremy to Isaac, who was the worship leader at that time, and said, hey, man, he plays the drums. And Isaac was right on that and said, well, we need a drummer. And that helped Jeremy a lot. He got really connected with the worship, and he started with that. And then within that year, we started coming regularly with me. It was me, my husband, and my daughter, Olivia. Uh, we got connected right away, and we started with, you know, the family ministry at first, and then we got baptized, and then we got, of course, involved in a small group, which is with Amy, <laughs> and just helping in the community through, you know, children's ministry, and just my mom started coming, as a matter of fact, in that year. Um, it helped us a lot because my father, stepfather was diagnosed with cancer, and that helped us through that as well. Yeah. And so, and I know Jeremy's invited his family, and just lives really have been changed all through that. Yes, very much. Through a simple invitation. Mm -hmm. So I just want to encourage you guys, the reason why this is important is not so that the jar has so many people, but because someone's life and their whole family was changed because of a simple invitation. And I guarantee when you get to heaven and God asks you, you know, what was something you did for me? When you can look behind and say, well, this person's life was changed, not because of me, but because of you, but I simply invited, uh, life would just be amazing for you in heaven uh, to celebrate that. So let's give uh, Michelle and Amy a hand uh, for sharing their story today. Thank you. Let's, uh, Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, Amy and Michelle and their story and the power of uh, an invitation. Thank you for Amy's willingness to obey that prompting and to make a beeline, as she said, over to Michelle and to invite her. And thank you for Michelle's openness to get connected with Jesus in the jar. God, help all of us this week to invite one friend to Easter. Because you never know, God, when an entire life would be changed 
just because of a simple invitation. And God, we ask now that that you come through the power of your Holy Spirit and that you teach us how to live with better self-control so we might serve you in a greater way. Come now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a short little verse in the Bible, um, just a few uh, phrases actually. They're given by a guy by the name of Paul who wrote over half the New Testament. And as Paul writes, he uh, writes to an up-and-coming leader, a guy by the name of Timothy. It's kind of uh, his apprentice. And he gives him some very wise words. So wise that if you don't get anything else out of the teaching today, this verse right here was worth the price of admission. And this is what Paul said. He said, keep your head in all things. Keep your head in all things. 2 Timothy 4, 5. And I thought, since we're in church today, it might be good if we actually memorized a Scripture verse this morning. And so we're going to memorize this. And so you just kind of repeat after me. Keep your head in all things. Now, this is the big challenge. We're going to try to put those two phrases together. Now, it might be a little bit difficult. But uh, let's repeat after me. Keep your head in all things. One, two, three. Keep your head in all things. Now, you all know what it's like to lose your head, right? When your impulses get the best of you and you lose your head and anger comes to the top at work or at home, you lose your head when anxiety gets overwhelming and then you make some poor choices. You lose your head when stress, stress and pressure come and you spin out of control. And Paul gives some very wise words when he says, keep your head in all things. Now today we're going to look at several different texts of Jesus going up a hill and It was not just any hill, but it was the ultimate hill. The hill that took Him to the cross and He died for your sins and mine and the sins of the world. But as He climbs that hill, He experiences all kinds of heartbreaks and complications and aggravation. And folks, it would have been so easy for Jesus on the 24 hours before He died to lose His head. Any normal person would have. And yet Jesus was able to keep His head in the midst of aggravations. And today we're going to look at some of the aggravations and some of the complications that came as He climbs this hill, but how Jesus overcame every single one of them. And we're going to learn how with our own hills that we could have His type of self-control and faith. Now, the first hill of aggravation that he climbs is one that we talked about a couple of weeks ago called the Mount of Olives. And he 
is walking up this hill and there are people on top of the hill that are waiting to arrest him and to beat him up. And Judas, one of Jesus' friends, is up on that hill also, but he's kind of hiding in the shadows. Now, Jesus had built into his life for three years, just poured himself into this guy's life. And Judas is in the shadows, and he comes out and he kisses Jesus on the cheek, and that was the sign for the soldiers to come and to arrest Jesus. And this is the first aggravation that happens. Judas betrays Jesus. Judas, one of Jesus' friends, he's known him for three years. He betrays him. I mean, just imagine what Jesus must have felt when that happens. I mean, if there was ever a moment for a person to lose their head, folks, that was the moment. And yet, remarkably, Jesus kept his head. In fact, he simply asked a question. The Scripture says this, Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And Judas admits that he is, and Jesus does nothing beyond that. There's no sharp word, there's no fight, there's no revenge seeking. Jesus keeps his head. Well, right after that, all these soldiers who are on top of the mountain, they bomb rush Jesus. And they rough him up, and they bind him, and they beat him. And as the soldiers are doing all of this to Jesus, Peter loses it. He freaks out. He loses his head. And he takes out his sword, and he starts kind of swinging the sword back and forth to keep the soldiers away. And finally, he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. Now, this is very interesting to me because, again, for three years, Jesus has been building into Peter's life and he's been teaching a message of nonviolence. Again and again and again, he says violence is not the answer. In fact, he said this. One time he told his disciples, he said, if someone slaps you on the cheek, what does he tell them to do? What's it say? Yeah, we didn't do that one as loud, did we? What did he say? Turn the other cheek. And then he says this. He says, now I tell you, do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you, but return good. And he says these words, which are amazing. Love your what? Enemies. He says, we're not going to be violent people. You know, I wish that our world followed Jesus' teaching. Can you imagine? We wouldn't have people in prison if people just chose to follow those teachings. Jesus had a lot to teach the world. Well, Peter loses his head, and we hit this second aggravation, and it's this. Peter ignores Jesus' teaching, and he turns to violence. Peter, Jesus' best friend, ignored his teaching and he turns to violence. 
Peter pulls out his sword and he slices off the ear of one of the soldiers. And in that moment, Jesus keeps his head. I mean, like if I I were Jesus, I'd be like, yeah, come on, Peter. Anybody else got a sword? But Jesus is not. He just keeps his head. And he responds by saying, look what he says. He says, no more of this. That's all he says in this chaotic situation. No more of this. This violence stops now. And then he kneels down and he looks, and he's already kind of bound up, so I'm sure he's kind of looking around, and he finds the ear and he puts it up on the the side of the soldier's head and he puts it back there and he heals the man and he could hear perfectly fine. That same man that he's kneeling down to now heal him was the one who came to arrest him. And Jesus doesn't act mean. He acts with kindness and love. He returns good for evil. Jesus keeps his head when Peter loses it. Well, from there, Jesus is dragged into a court where two different political leaders try to show their power over him. That's the third aggravation. There's these two political leaders that kind of try to show their power over him. One of those leaders was a guy by the name of Pilate. And uh, Jesus comes into this court after he's arrested, and Pilate looks at him, and he says these words, Don't you know that I have power over you? (laughs) Isn't that kind of funny? I mean, here is the Son of God, the King of the world, and here's this little punk coming up to him and saying, Don't you realize I have power over you? And you would have thought, if there was any time where Jesus should just say something, give some kind of remark, send down an angel and beat up Pilate, like this would be the time to do it. But you know why? He doesn't. He didn't say anything. He just kept his head. Then they take him to another political leader, a guy by the name of Herod, and Herod goes ahead and he dresses him up in a robe and they're all making fun of him and ridiculing him and they hit him and say, guess who hit you? And they slap him across the face and they humiliate him. Now here's the question I have for you. How well do you do when people humiliate you in public? How do you respond when another person ridicules you? Can you control the impulse of revenge-seeking? Can you control your anger in situations like that? And Jesus kept his cool. He kept his head. He stays self-controlled. Then after he's in these two core appearances, now comes the physical beatings. He's whipped. He's flogged. Flogged was a form of whipping in which at the end of the whip... They would put pieces of metal and rock. And when they would actually whip the person, it would dig into the person's back. So that whole concept of, um, you know, being skinned alive, that's what flogging did. It actually skinned the person. It took the skin off. And then they took 
these crown of thorns and they pressed it on his head to where he started bleeding profusely from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Several years ago, there was a great movie that came out. It was the best movie I've ever watched when it comes to uh, the passion of the Christ, when it comes to the crucifixion of Jesus, and it's called The Passion of the Christ. And it was done by Mel Gibson. And if you haven't seen it, I would really strongly encourage you to rent it, to watch it um, by yourself. And the first time I ever watched that movie, it was right before we did the biggest outreach this church had ever done. We rented a movie theater before the church ever started, and we gave free tickets to everyone to come, and then we had a talkback session at the uh, Children's Museum. And I wanted to kind of check the movie out before I got there. Basically, I didn't want to cry in the movie. I didn't figure, like, that would be a good thing for a pastor to do, you know, especially when you're trying to start a church. So I go to Anderson. There are about seven people in the movie theater, and I'm just bawling like a baby the whole time. And then we watched that same movie that Sunday, and I sat in the back, and I bawled like a baby again. And then uh, the DVD came out, and I decided that every single time Easter rolled around, I wanted to watch that movie because it's the most graphic display of what Jesus took on for me. And so every week, one of my disciplines, the week before Easter, is I watch this movie. And I've done it for seven years. When I got to year five, I was like, I'm going into year six now. I'm going to be a big boy, you know? I'm not crying this time. And I just started weeping again. And there's another emotion that happens to me uh, when I watch this movie, and it's I get angry. When the soldiers start doing to Jesus what they did, I get angry. And I start yelling at the screen. In fact, I was watching on my computer a couple of years ago, and I was at Ball State University, and I had my headphones on, and I'm watching it, and they're starting to really beat him up. If you remember, if you know the movie, there's a scene where he's in the middle of the courtyard, and his hands are cupped to this big uh, piece of stone, and they're flogging him, and all of a sudden, that scene comes on, and I just have my AirPods in, but I'm looking, I'm like, no, I'm going to, you know, and start yelling. And all of a sudden, a Ball State student walks up to me. And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. And that was a little embarrassing. But every single year, I want to experience what he did for me. The beating the whipping, the crown of thorns. And if there was ever a time for him to have revenge-seeking, that was the time it should have been. I mean, how do you keep self-control when you're getting beat up like that? And yet, even in that pain, Jesus kept his head. Then some of the soldiers took uh, his robe and they gambled. They threw dice to see who would get it. I mean, think about that, folks. You get to the end of your life The only worldly possession that you have is your robe. And now that you get to that point, you think, at least I'll die in dignity with my robe. And they take that away from you. Your last possession. Then if that wasn't bad enough, the most painful aggravation happens next as nails are pounded into his hands and his feet. And they're pounded. And the soldiers take some real pleasure in pounding this man. 
nails into his hands and his feet. And in that moment, you would think that if Jesus was going to retaliate, this was the time he should have, should have done it. And if you remember from last week, while he's on this cross, while the nails are in his hands and his feet, he looks down at all of these people who are doing this to him. And he says these astonishing words. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Now, folks, if that were happening to me, that would not be my first reaction. In fact, if someone was pounding nails into my hands and feet and I was that close to God, I'd be like, God, get these evil people. Wipe them out. Get me off of this cross. And yet Jesus just looks down and He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So your earthly possession is taken from you. Nails are pounded into your hands and feet. And Jesus is still keeping His head. And the next aggravation comes along. He's on this cross, his last few moments, and look what happens. A thief insults him on one side, and on the other side of him, a thief wants grace. So there's a person on one side who insults him, and there's a person on the other side who wants something out of him. Folks, do you really think Jesus needs to be insulted at this point? I mean, he's dying for the sins of the world. He's a ragged man. Does he need some punk thief to tell him and insult him that he's not who he says he is? And he doesn't respond. Jesus just keeps his head. And then on the other side, if that wasn't bad enough, now you have someone that's like kind of tugging at you and saying, uh, hey, I'm, I'm so sorry for everything I've done. And Jesus, I'm just wondering, I, I believe in you. Could you... Could could, 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 could you give me some grace? And there's Jesus in one of the, the worst moments of his life. And someone's tugging at him, saying, can I have some grace? And Jesus keeps his head, and he says, yeah, even now, in the last breaths of my life, I still have grace to give. And he turns to that man, and he says these words, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus saves someone while he's on the cross paying for the sins of the world. In the moment of his own hopelessness, Jesus is giving hope to someone else. And then finally, just before he dies, he looks down from the cross and he notices his mom. And she's crying and she's weeping. And in that moment, Jesus makes arrangements while hanging on the cross for his mother to be taken care of. You know, if you're at that moment, folks, would you be making arrangements for someone else when you're almost to your last breath? Well, this was Jesus' uphill climb. And as I was thinking about it this week, let me ask you this. When you're climbing up a steep, inclined hill, and it feels like it's all uphill to you, And there are these additional aggravations that come into your life. Can you maintain self-control? Can you overcome your impulses? Can you keep your head in all things? Well, Jesus did. And if you ask me, how did he do it? 
the only way that I would know how to respond to how did he handle the pressure was I would have to say that it was not by his willpower. I mean, even willpower sometimes, folks, can't get you up the hill. I mean, some hills are just too great. So, how did he do it? Well, I think the key to all of this is wrapped up in a a Scripture verse that takes place a lot earlier in Jesus' life. It's a little teaching, but I think it's the key to spiritual growth for every single person in this place. If you want to grow closer to God, this is the key. It's found in Luke 6, verse 45, and this is what Jesus said. He said, the good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. Let me repeat that. The good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And the verse ends by saying, and the evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. Now again, this is very, very important for us as we're going through this struggle called life. And uh, I thought what would be easiest is if I just kind of illustrated it uh, for us today. And so, let me give a little drawing. A couple of weeks ago, um, I asked people, is there any person here who's dealing with a hill in their life? And uh, I said, if you are, you know, if you could just be humble enough, if you'll stand up right where you're at, I want to pray for you, and there'll be other people praying for you. We had dozens, I mean, there were just dozens of people all over the place who were standing up uh, for that. And what it made me think was that there are a lot of people in our church who are going up a very, very, very steep incline. Can you guys see that over there? Okay. A very, very steep incline. And... uh, we kind of lean into this hill. But the problem is, is that when you're going up a hill, folks, first of all, there are some hills that you can't do on your own with your own willpower. But secondly, sometimes even when you're going up a hill, there are some aggravations or complications that take place. And so as you're going up this hill, you hit something That is not just the hill, but it's an aggravation or it's a complication that hits your life. And it threatens us. And when we hit these hills, we want to be able to say, I can't do it. I can't get, I can't hardly do the hill, let alone get around this aggravation or this complication that is there. And so what happens is many times we get to this and then we give in to our impulses and we make poor decisions or we just say the heck with it all together. God, you can't get me up the hill. And then we go off and we royally mess up. And so Jesus is going up this hill, but the thing is Jesus had something that many times we don't have. And it is he had a faith tank. He had a faith tank. And as Jesus is getting ready to go up his hill, what happens is, is that because of the good that was stored up in his heart, there's like this tube that comes out. And when he can't do it anymore, it's like this oxygen tank. 
if you've ever seen guys that go up to Mount Everest, sometimes when they get so high at the top of it, the oxygen's so low that they actually have to have oxygen tanks so that they get up a little bit further. And what happened with Jesus was he had this faith tank that would fill him so that he could make it over some of these aggravations and some of these complications that were there. And it says in verse uh, 45 in chapter 6 again, if you're a good person, you'll have good things stored up in your heart. And you'll be able to rely on your faith fuel to get you over the bumps, over the roadblocks as you go up that hill. And you can keep your head. And you can have self-control. And you can make it to the top of this hill. And for Jesus, the top of that hill was the cross. Now the problem is, is that as we're doing this, when we're going up this, our faith tank has a tendency to go down. We kind of have a, a burnout level. For example, if you're riding on a bike on a level surface, you have a burn rate of calories, right? But if you take that bike ride and you're not going on a level surface, but you're actually going up a hill now, you're going to burn those calories at a much greater pace because your body's engaged. Same way with running. You see with the, this with the airplanes all the time. Uh, with an airplane, when does it take more fuel? When it's first taking off or when it's up and it's cruising? When it's first taking off, right? Some of you are like, what airplane? I'm, whoa, I'm waking back up. Where? Airplane. Okay. So, yeah, it, it takes a lot more energy and fuel to, to do that when you first are taking off in an airplane. But once you get up in a cruising altitude, it doesn't take as much. Well, the same thing happens to our human bodies. When you're going up a hill, the burn rate becomes so much greater that if you don't have something stored up in your faith tank, you may not make it to the top of your hill. And when you get down, folks, to a level of empty down here, that's when trouble comes. Trouble happens, you make poor decisions, relationships are impacted. Because when you're going uphill and you hit these aggravations, you need something that's going to help you get to the top of your hill because you don't plan those additional aggravations. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I and uh, my four-year-old daughter, my two-year-old daughter, my 74-year-old dad and my 73-year-old mom who is kind of like two additional children sometimes. I love you, Mom and Dad. They're here, so it's all right. I just got out of the will, but other than that. But, but leading up to our vacation time, I had taught eight weeks in a row. Now, some of you are sitting there like, like so? You only work one hour a week anyways, bunch. But let me take you back to school. Think about having a term paper every single week for eight weeks in a row. 
and people are there waiting to hear from you. Just a little bit of, you know, stress. Now, the church, in January and February, compared to January and February last year, we've grown 18% in those two months. That's all because of you guys. But January and February have been amazing months for the jar. Now, today, people are on spring break. But January and February were really good. And people were encouraged, and lives had changed, and baptisms were taking place, and stories of miracles happening. And I've never been so proud of you guys as a church family. That's why I wanted to, I figured if you came today when spring break started, you were like pretty committed. So I just wanted to thank you personally uh, for what you do and for the commitment that you make to Christ and the church as we fulfill the dream of JAR 2.0. But as we got on this airplane, my faith tank had already started going down and I had this Brilliant idea, I thought at the time. I'm going to take a vacation, and I'm not even going to read my Bible or pray. I'm just going to take a vacation from everything, including God. Dumb idea, okay? Really dumb idea. So we get to Florida. The second day, my wife Jennifer gets sick, really sick. And so that means that I'm going to be taking care of these two kids a little bit more than what we share most of the time. Plus, it was her birthday that week, and uh, I had to plan a party, and so I'm doing all of that. And I noticed that throughout the week, I was just like kind of on the edge of losing it. Well, when we got ready to head home, I lost it. We get to the airport, and they said, the plane is delayed. I just want to get home, folks. I want a vacation one day at home. I've been on vacation all week, but I need a vacation at home. And uh, they say delayed. Do you know what delayed means for the airplane people? Canceled. And that's what happened. They canceled the flight. We got to the airport and we learned this. And I knew that that was just like the first domino of minis that were going to happen. And it was just the beginning of all of them falling down. We go up to this customer rep as we wait for about an hour and a half. And they tell us, we can put you in a hotel. We just can't get transportation to the hotel. You can't get transportation anywhere. And then we said, well, can we get our luggage so that at least we'll have some stuff? I have a two-year-old, you know. She still poops in her diaper. We need diapers. They said, oh, no, that's already on the plane. We can't take it off. And Jennifer's like, calm down, Peter. Don't pull out the knife, you know. And so we rent a van because the company who had the van couldn't, or the hotel said, it was just a whole big mess. Anyway, we, Jennifer and I finally, we rent this van, we go to Walmart, we do all this shopping. I've got an Ireland t-shirt now. I don't even like Ireland. If you're Irish, I'm sorry. But I have this t-shirt now that is just for this. And after all of this, we said, well, let's just order pizza. And we get pizza, and I'm thinking, Oh, man, this will make it right. Warm pizza. We open it up, and I don't even think they cooked the thing. It was like cold, like almost like frozen pizza. And so we go to bed that night, 
and uh, my two-year-old sleeps in the bed for the first time, I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to, bam, she's falling off the bed, hit her head, I'm putting her back, everyone's still asleep, and I'm thinking, God, it's got to get better tomorrow. So the next morning we wake up, they told us we had free breakfast. We walk in there, you know who the free breakfast was for? The four-year-old and the two-year-old. All of us had to pay $16 for breakfast. They don't tell you that, though, until they bring the bill. And so we pay for this breakfast, and I'm mad, and I'm angry. And we come out, and we load up the van, and it's on that particular time that my oldest daughter decides that she is going to amp up her independence. And she's sitting in the back of the van, and she says, I don't want to sit in the middle seat. I want to sit in the back seat. And I grabbed that kid, and I pulled her. I don't think she even landed. I just kind of drug her. And I put her in. I said, you're in timeout. Well, all of the, you know, hotel people are looking at me, and I'm sure they're thinking, we got to call CPS. I haven't beat the kid. I just told her she was in timeout. Well, we finally get that done. We, we get finally to the airport, and uh, we're, sorry, this is taking longer. But uh, we get to the, I need therapy. And, uh, and we get to the airport. And uh, we get on that plane, and that plane's delayed. And so they tell us now that our connection flight in Detroit might not make it. And so we get off the plane, and we're in the terminal in Detroit, and we're running, and like our strollers are hitting people, our kids are crying, my 74-year-old dad's got my mom in a wheelchair, and he's got a bum leg going like this. You know, we finally get there, and they're just getting ready to close the gate. And I'm like... No! And we get on the plane. We get on the plane, we get home, I think everything's fine. It can't get any worse than this. Well, that four-year-old decides to have another independence moment. She said she didn't mind sitting in the back seat. She didn't want to sit in the middle seat, so we put her in the back seat. But now she doesn't want to sit by Papa. I grabbed the four-year-old again. It's like we've done this one time earlier in the day. And I bring her back into the uh, terminal area by the baggage claim, and there are these two sliding doors, and I set her right in the middle. And here's this four-year-old. You're in timeout again. I walk out of the first one, and the door closes. She is crying so loud that that little security guy, you know, on the, the I don't even know, what are they called? Segways. Segways. The Segway, he comes up in this yellow jacket, and he's like looking at me like that. And this thought comes to my mind. Just tell him you're a terrorist. He'll take you away. (laughs) And it's at that point that it just hit me, folks. My faith tank was on E. And when your faith tank is on E, folks, you're not a good husband. You're not a good dad. You're not a good follower of Christ. Bad things happen to great people when their faith tank gets to E. They get irritable, angry. And when my faith tank gets low, folks, I get angry, I get irritable, 
And when my faith tank gets low, I'm dangerous. And could I just say this, that when your faith tank gets low, you become dangerous too. So the question becomes, Bunch, when we're climbing up this hill, how can we keep our faith tank at least to half, if not full, so that even when we're going up and we hit distractions, that we don't lose it altogether? Because the truth was this about Jesus. He kept his faith tank full. He just kept it full so that when he was going up the hill, he kept his faith tank always at the F mark, at the full mark. How did he do it? Well, the Bible says that he pulled away at times and he just spent time in quiet, in solitude. When was the last time you just sat in the presence of God, allowing him to fill you? Scripture tells us he gets up early in the morning and he prays to his father. It says sometimes he would go to bed at night and he would just pray all night long. He rested his body. When was the last time you just rested your body? You took a nap. One of the most spiritual things you can do sometimes is take a nap. He studied the Scriptures because the, the Bible itself, this book, it fills us. When we open it, it fills our tank. It doesn't deplete it. And so I was just thinking about it as we close. I just want to give you some quick coaching tips on how you can fill your tank as you go through a regular day. And I thought I'd give you some of the things that I try to do uh, in my own life um, to fill my tank when I'm climbing a hill. Again, I don't always do it well. But I try. When the alarm goes off in the morning, I'm the kind of person that I like to wake up and get going. I can be full throttle immediately. And so something that I did uh, about four years ago to slow myself down is on the, the night before, I take off my glasses and I put them underneath my bed. So that when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is, I kind of have this routine, I roll over and I get on my knees and I surrender myself to God daily. That's the first coaching tip, that you surrender daily. Daily surrender. And so I roll out, I get my glasses, I put them on, and I just kind of stay on my knees for a little bit. I put my hands on the bed and I pray. Now, I don't pray for three hours. I don't levitate. I don't start speaking some weird things. I just sit there, and I just ask God to help me during the day. And I say, God, I, I thank you so much for this morning. I really want to do this day with you. If I don't get anything else accomplished, I want to do this day with you. And I just surrender. It's not long, just a couple of moments. And after that, folks, all of a sudden, I start feeling my faith tank get up. It happened this morning. I got up, found my glasses, I'm on my knees, and all of a sudden my faith tank just starts filling up a little bit. So how do you start your day? Are you adding to your faith tank, or is it being depleted? Another surrendering thing that I do is uh, when I get in the shower... I kind of imagine that in the same way that just as I'm getting clean, that my spirit needs to be clean too. And so when I get in the shower, I start confessing sins in my life. 
And sometimes I'll just ask God, God, is there any sin that uh, I committed the day before that I need to confess? And he'll tell me. And I'll, this morning, when I took a shower, that's what I did. And I just kind of surrendered myself so that I start the day with a clean slate. Here's another thing that I try to do each day. Is, uh, I did it this morning. I, I open up my Bible and I read a particular section of Scripture. So Bible reading. If you don't know how to read your Bible, we have Bible reading plans in the back that they can give you. Five minutes a day, that's all it takes. It doesn't have to be a long period of time, but you're reading it. And as I consistently do this, it like adds fuel to my faith tank. Now let me be honest. Every time that I read this book, it's not like I get a five-gallon boost. Okay? Sometimes I don't get anything out of it at all. But sometimes what actually happens is when I don't think I'm getting anything, later on in the day or later that week, all of a sudden I'm reminded of something that I read in the Bible and it fills me. Because Bible reading will never deplete your tank, folks. It only fills your tank. Another thing I do is I spend some time in prayer and in journaling. Prayer and in journaling. What I do, and, and journaling is nothing but writing down kind of what you think God's doing, but I get, I get my journal and I just put a line right down the middle and then I put one here at the top and I put me and God. And then what I do is I, I say, this is what me needs. This is what I need. And I'll write down uh, my prayers and I'll ask God for things or, and I'll thank Him for things. And I'll praise Him for things in my life, for prayers that were answered. And then on this other side, I just take this morning with seven minutes. I looked at my clock, 7.53. 7.53 to 8 o'clock, I just tried to listen to God. I didn't get anything until the end when He said, Today, speak truth. And so I just kind of wrote in my little thing, Speak truth. And that's what I've tried to do today. Just a few moments, though. And I've been doing this for 15 years, and it's amazing for me to see the chronicle of God's activity in my life. Another way that I do that is when you eat. All of us have to eat. When you eat, say a prayer. And one of the things that I do is when I say, hey, God, thanks for this food, uh, then I'll also say something like, uh, you know, as I'm getting physically nourished, I want my spirit to be nourished too. Last night... We were sitting as a family. We were going to watch Dolphin Tale. Anyone seen Dolphin Tale yet? First movie that, like, all of us like. I mean, she's almost five now. First one we all got into. And when we got ready to pray, I was like, we're going to change up prayer today. Everybody raise your hands. And both of the girls are like... And we just prayed. And we said, God, you know, as we eat physically, could you also nourish our spirits? And then... Some of us know this better than others, but the power of music. How many of you are in your car at least a half hour a day? Okay. One of the things that you can do is listen to some Christian music. I was working at uh, the Ball State Library this week, and uh, I was just kind of anxious, and so I pulled my iPod out, and I put my earplugs in, and I just put on a song that uh, really spoke to me. I'd just like you to listen to it. Uh, real quick. Speak to me. Speak to me. 
your spirit speak your words of life speak to me speak to me i am listening i am waiting speak to me and you know i just put that song on and at the end of that song all of a sudden i just sense god telling me Chris, I love you. I'm speaking to you right now. And I just want you to know I love you. Get good music, folks. I'm not saying you always have to listen to Christian music. I listen to all kinds of stuff. But get some music. Last thing, encourage others. Encourage others. Many times I go through my day and I'll uh, check my email and I'll check something on Facebook, or I'll get a text, and someone will have just sent to me, hey, Chris, I'm thinking about you, was praying for you. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just encourages me. And my faith tank, in the midst of that, my faith tank starts really filling up. Or someone will say, hey, I'm going through something difficult. And I'll just write to them, I'll say, hey, you know what, I just want you to know I'm praying right now. And right in that moment, I pray for that person. Now, I was thinking about it today as we kind of end this whole thing. And that is that I've given you a lot of information today about hills, and the reality is, are you going to practice it? And so what I'd like to do, and this will be our closing prayer and then we'll be done, is I'd like you to sit in your chair, put everything down, whatever it is that you have, notes or whatever. And uh, what I'd like you to do is just put your hand, kind of sit up straight if you've been slouching, okay? Uh, Kind of wake up if you're asleep. (laughs) And just kind of put your hands out like that with your palms facing up. And uh, in church history, people prayed like this for centuries. And it was the whole sense of being able to receive from God. And when you get distracted here, which you may, there will be some words up on the screen that uh, you can just tell yourself. But say, God, I'm open, I'm available, I want to meet with you. I'm open, I'm available, I want to meet with you. And uh, I'll have uh, Mikey just play just a minute or so. And uh, let let God just kind of speak to you. God, come, be present with us. We know you're here all the time. And now we're creating space to meet with you.
some of us are climbing some big hills right now. We need our faith tank filled. And so fill us now. And throughout this week, God, when we feel like it's getting low, help us to come and just take a moment like this. Sit in your presence. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. Prayer team will be up here if you'd like prayer for anything. And uh, practice that this week.